I'm glad that somebody, somebody pays attention. You remembered the downpipe, for goodness sake. Wow, amazing. And um, as Alan said, yes, uh, I am really looking forward to this weekend because um, the Lord has been bugging the dickens out of me for your sakes. It's just like he's been waking me, not letting me sleep, and, and uh, messing up my well-laid plans. Um, so there are a few very specific downloads that I believe are, are um, uh, very specifically for, for you at Sarepta and for you who have been for years at Sarepta in particular. I was praying early in the, um, in the year about the year and about the future and uh, had a sense of some exciting things like uh, words that could become cliches and, and a number of people were hearing the same thing that, you know, and it had to do with the number eight being the number of new beginnings and uh, resurrection and new creation and all of these things. And so, and I was, I was feeling inspired about that and, uh, and, and praying into it. And then, of course, I come from the desert called Cape Town where... Um, where we are now at level 6B water restrictions because of the drought and the, and the, uh, the de- uh, zero water day has been moved forward to the 12th of April when the taps will run completely dry unless something quite dramatic happens. Uh, and so we're getting used to doing some very hard things like taking 60-second showers and wearing shirts three times instead of once before you uh, put them in the wash. And so um, things can get quite um, uncomfortable. I was washing in cold water, you know, because it takes too long for the shower to warm up uh, and wastes too much water doing that. And so I, I do the brave thing and I do the cold shower and then it's, it's warm by the time Lorraine comes to take her shower. And uh, so I'm very heroic, <laughs> chivalrous, and all of that. And I was doing that thing and washing in. We stand in a bath and do this thing with a sponge. And thinking, gee, life is hard. And then the Lord said, I'm not going to end this drought, you know, uh, until... I see the fruit of the lesson of the drought. And he said, and here's the first part of the lesson. Empathy by you whiteies for the fact that the majority, the vast majority of the population of this country have had to wash like this in the coldest of weather, in outside, only with cold water for a couple of centuries. Empathy. Maybe it's the beginning of wisdom. I heard a man say, um, this was a, 
short uh, movie uh, television uh, uh, series. In fact, I think it was only two episodes called Nuremberg, which was the story of the Nuremberg trials. And, um, and the man who was, the, who was appointed by the American court, uh, the military court, to be the uh, psychiatrist for the prisoners while they were on trial and uh, spent the, the entire time having one-on-one sessions with, the, with prisoners and, um, and uh, talking to them and, and trying to hear them. Uh, he was a, an American Jew. And he, was, and he said, he had this in mind, I wanted to know. He said, when I began this engagement with this, this trial, I wanted, one, I wanted to answer one question. What is the nature of evil? And he, he speaks at the end of the trial and he said, that one question, I have the answer. The nature of evil is the absence of empathy. Is when people don't care. Don't care about others. Care about themselves, but don't care about others. This... Um, this kind of dialogue that I was having with the Lord um, continued, flowed into a word, a prophetic word that I felt is pertinent to Sarepta um, and maybe to a wider spread of the church in this country. And uh, so I want to, in fact, begin with this. I wrote it down because it had quite a few interesting phrases that I didn't think up myself. And, and this is what I felt the Lord said. It is the year of new beginnings. But new means different. I'm increasing the power and the pain. I'm raising the bar of following the leader. And an image came to my mind as he said that. I have a little granddaughter who's now six years old. And what I have to do most times when we visit at her house is I have to go out in the garden and play follow the leader. And, of course, she's always the leader. And, um, and, and, and she takes great delight in, in raising the bar. So, so what happens is the first round, you follow the leader, and it's quite easy. And then the second round, she starts to go through gaps that her body fits through much more easily than mine does. And uh, then she starts to go under bushes and things that you have to bend your back and it's painful to follow the leader. And she's gleeful about it. She says, I'm making it harder for you to follow the leader, hey, Pappy. And so that phrase came to my mind when I heard the Lord say this, I'm raising the bar of following the leader. I'm offering a new level of authority to the wise. Now we'll hear more about what that means over the next couple of days. There will be radicalization and polarization and intensification of both the darkness and the light. So I had a real strong sense of the Lord saying, the darkness is going to get darker. A lot of people are puzzled. We've had a number of prayer meetings for, for the drought to be broken. 
And I really did hear the Lord say, I'm not going to end this drought until the application, I see the application of the lessons of it. There will be no reflected light to walk by, but my people will discover a new on switch. They will come into a new authority, but it's not a gift, it's a discovery. To make it, you're going to need to forget many of the former things. It will not be business as usual, but business mega unusual. You're going to be called to sign up, not for a cruise, but for a battle. You're going to embark not on a cruise liner, but on a battleship. And the enemy is in the form of submarines of deception and complacency. So get ready. So what I felt to say in this first talk tonight is spending a little time thinking about uh, what is the Spirit saying to the church and what are the implications for us at every stage of our lives as Christians. I'm not, I don't know if you're like this, but sometimes I hear young Christians who have just met Jesus and have just been filled with the Spirit or just experienced that, that first flush of first love and enjoyment of the, of the Holy Spirit and gifts and miracles and instant answers to prayer. And, you know, any of you remember those? That time? And you know how people make these confessions, and I never want to be the one who says to them, ah, I'm so glad for you, but it won't always be this way. There will be times when the Lord deliberately will prick the balloon, and he will say, as your rear end hits the dirt, now get up and walk. It's been cool to float for a while. And some people have been sold that gospel uh, that I've told you before about floating to heaven on an inner spring mattress drinking Coca-Cola. That's what we've been promised, right? Wrong. But I don't want to be the one to tell them that. I, I, I just want to stand back and smile and say, isn't that wonderful? And let them think that that's been the way it's been for me for 50 years, which it, of course it hasn't. But I really do think that what is, what is important, and this is the thing that the Lord has been on me about over the, over the last while, is um, that this is a time for us to check our expectations and to understand the difference between identity and authority. To understand the difference between those things that come to us by gift and those things that we have to earn with blood, sweat, and tears. Those things that we only discover. You know that, that text in Jeremiah where he says, I, I will give you the treasures of darkness. There are some things that are only shaped and fashioned in the dark. So, there's a broadcast from heaven. God is speaking. And... Uh, the fact that the broadcast has happened, sometimes we think, well, the broadcast has happened. Communication has taken place. And actually, 
it's only really happened when someone has, has um, plugged in, switched on and tuned to the right wavelength and heard what the broadcast has said. So you, m- most of you, uh, are, we, are we on? Is this thing happening? Okay, so the next one is about um, something that most people under... Most people whose hair is not gray will not recognize. It's a, it's a radio. It's one of those radios. I, I was thinking about it today when we were, when we were watching a, a rather horrible day of cricket um, with, you know, glorious, what's it, uh, special uh, high definition and all of that. And, and I, I remember a day when uh, we were listening to cricket on a radio like this one. And when my brother, in frustration, because it kept on, you know, distorting and you couldn't hear what was going on, and he hit the thing with the, the flat of his hand and smashed that whole dial in the front, you know, the, with all the wave bands on it. He was not popular. So, so uh, uh, requirements for hearing are these. Number one, you have to have ears. That's why Jesus, over and over, as he speaks to the churches in Revelation, says, He who has an ear, let him hear. You also have to have a receiver. There needs to be something more than just ears. There also has to be a mechanism for, for actually making sound waves into intelligible information. There has to be an antenna that is able to adjust so that it can, re- it can bring what is in the ether, down into the room. Of course, you have to have power. There, there needs to be a thing called life for a thing to happen. You've got to be plugged in, switched on. And then, of course, there needs to be a tuner that you can tune to the right wavelength. The fact of the matter is, though, that uh, for, century, for millennia, God has been sending signals out. And for millennia, people have sometimes heard. Many people have not been at all aware. And most people have heard snippets. We hear, we see through a glass darkly. We hear as through a kind of um, bad hearing aid. And, um, and of course, the reason for all of that is a thing called the, um, the fall of human beings. So uh, you will remember this from a previous uh, weekend that I've had with you. God's purpose always was that what happens in heaven is reflected on earth. The kingdom of God is that when God's will is, is spoken, declared in heaven, it is, it is reflected on earth. And that's what... And he, and he created the human. He created Adam and then later Eve. And he created them to be the downpipe. He created them to be the antennae. He created them to be the receivers. So that they would hear. So that they would do. So that they would pass on. So that they would implement the things that heaven was declaring for the world. And... So there was this beautiful connection. We don't know how long it lasted. How long was it that they walked in the garden and listened to the Lord and carried out His instructions and enjoyed bliss, paradise, 
heaven on earth. And you remember what happened next was the snake. And the snake deceived and the human obeyed the wrong voice. And the result of that was that the link was broken. It didn't mean that God wasn't there. It just means that he wasn't being heard. My ear is not deaf that I cannot hear your prayers, says the Lord. My arm is not too short that I can't reach you and save you, but your sins have made a separation between me and you so that you, I do not hear. He was speaking about that way communication and hearing. And the same thing applies the other way. But of course, habit creates certain predispositions. It creates, um, so habits of sin bring about uh, distorted listening. We hear what we want to hear. We hear half-heartedly. We hear, but we don't listen. We, we hear the information, but we don't obey the instruction. And, and the more we disobey the instruction, the less accurately we hear. Now, there's good news in that, by the way. Let me say it quickly. This is really the subject for tomorrow, but let me say it like this. The, other, the opposite is also true, that the more we obey, the better we will hear. So, Jesus, of course, said it for us, didn't he? Truly, truly, I tell you, unless a person is born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And he cannot hear the voice of God. You're not plugged in until you're born again. There is no power, there is no life until the Spirit of God comes, enters you, and takes the two things, the human heart and the heart of God, and connects them. Mercy and truth kiss each other. So let's have a quick look at how it all Happened. John chapter 1 verse 12 is the story of, um, of God's beginning in terms of the salvation thing. Some people did accept him, Jesus, the word. They believed in him and he gave them the right, listen, the right. The word there is exousia, the authority to become children of God. They became God's children. They were born from God himself. The Word became a man and lived among us. We saw His divine greatness. The greatness that belongs to the only Son of the Father. The Word was full of grace and truth. Greatness equals the grace and truth of God in the human form. The glory, the, the word greatness there is, is a, um, this, this particular translation's rendering of the word glory. The overflowing life of God full of grace and truth. The law was given to us through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So 12 and 13 are important verses because it says, when we received him, whoever received him, he gave the right, the authority to become children of God. Now, let's stop there for a moment. We use that 
verse, don't we, in counseling people when they come to Christ, when they come to faith. Do you use that? Did anybody use it on you? All you have to do is uh, admit, believe, and confess at ABC. Open your heart to Jesus, receive him, and he will make you a child of God. Now, that's actually not what the text says. It says that, it says that, and there is another verse that does say that there is an instant thing that happens called being born again. We're going to come there later. Don't panic. I'm not introducing works salvation. It, it is all a gift and it is all by grace that we start this thing out, that the power comes. But God, he's saying something more here. He's saying, I don't only want you to be born I want you to exercise the authority to become. It's one thing to be, and you are by nature. When you're born again, you are by nature, by internal change, metamorphosis. You are, you be, you become a child of God. You, you are born into God's family. Good, good news? Is that good news? Okay, good news. And then the Lord says, now I want you to become what you are. You'll remember my, my other beautiful piece of art, the little green man who's dressed up in his dad's clothes. You remember that? I mean, it's such a memorable piece of art. I don't know why more of you are not remembering. You remember? You do remember? You see, it was beautiful, right? It should be framed, right? It should be up on the wall here. Because that is, in fact, what happens. He gives us the gift, and then he clothes us in the event, in the eventual outcome. And he says, you look so cute in my clothes. Why don't you just wear them until you grow into them? That's the, that's the reality. But here's what I want to communicate over this weekend. The growing is not automatic. The growing requires of us engagement, obedience, faith, and faithfulness. Doing the right thing. So, I'm, I'm spending too long on that, on that point. So here, here's, here's the other one. This is the, the good news one. John 3, 3, you must be born again. Anyone who is not born again cannot see God's kingdom. Anyone who is not born from water and the Spirit cannot enter God's kingdom. The only life people get from their human parents is physical, but the new life that the Spirit gives a person is spiritual. Don't be surprised that I told you, you must be born again. Jesus tells us in a later verse in John chapter 5, verse 19, I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by Himself. He can only do what he sees the Father doing. I want you to, to pick up on these, on these verbs. Hear, see, do, enter, believe, receive. You see, what God wants in this thing called salvation is the reconstitution of a community of people who will once again be the conduits, be the, be the receptors of heaven's will 
of God's desire for the earth. And then to implement that, to walk it out. Even though it costs you blood, sweat and tears to walk it out. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 says, Now we see things imperfectly like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely, just as God now knows me completely. So I put that verse in there to say to you, be patient with yourself if you see imperfectly for a long time in this life. You will hear incorrectly. You will hear in part. You will see in part. And... And God will say, that's okay. Just communicate what you've got. Communicate what you've got. And the more you obey, the better your hearing will become. Until the day when you will see perfectly and hear perfectly and everything will, be, will fall into place for you. So birth brings about a baby. A baby is born. And you'll see my baby is very, is very cute and very, very uh, well-formed. And the thing about a baby is that when God, by grace, gives us the, the perfect little person, everything that it will need for the rest of its life and for the things that it will become and achieve and for its ultimate destiny is already there. It's all in the package. It has what it takes. It has... Hands and feet and ears and mouth and nose and eyes. It has senses. They're not well developed yet. Uh, they, they, uh, they, they're clumsy. The baby finds its fingers at some point and then it shoves them in a, up its nose and it, and it gets all confused and, and, uh, and then it finds its feet and thinks that the feet are another pair of hands, and, and then there's even more confusion. And eyes take a while to focus, and, and then they focus further, and they focus further. And things like, thankfully, babies don't, can't smell, because the parents are bad enough when they smell what is in the baby's cot sometimes in the morning, Right? And so only later do they, does their hearing develop and their sight sharpen and their, and their nasal functions, their olfactory functions develop and their taste buds grow. And, uh, and the job of grandparents, the job of pappies, grandfathers especially, is to completely skew all of the of the things like taste and all of that sort of thing. You know, our job is to spoil them, is to give them sugar. And then send them back to their parents when they're on a sugar high and they've got to peel them off the ceiling to put them to bed. That's our job. So, in thinking about children, in thinking about babies, I want you now to think back to your new birth. And here's what I want you to think about. What did 
the new birth produce? You see, the new birth produces the DNA of God. It passes the DNA of God into your life. That's what, that's what this thing called life. We'll see it later on, but it, 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 First John says, He that has the Son of God has life. There is a new force that is coursing through your nervous system and through your blood system and through your organs and through your muscles, and that is actually a totally different form of life. So different that Paul calls it a new creation. It's a new species. Sometimes you feel like an alien, right? I used to say that to my daughters. When you stand looking up at the stars at night, do you feel homesick? (laughs) That was the form of a kind of insult. But but the fact of the matter is that we are aliens. We, we We are living on a planet that operates by, a, by a, a system of life that is foreign to us. And there is something else going on. And what we have to do is to learn the dynamics of that life force and to cooperate with the dynamics of that life force. So D- DNA has these results. It makes of someone some... It it creates someone who is the same but different, the same but unique, of the same species as the parent, but at the same time having its own unique features. Even within the family, all of us are children, and yet, and there is a family likeness, and yet there is uh, there is there are differences. I look at my kids, I see that they are siblings. You can see it in the photographs. And at the same time, there's there's no mistaking. They're not identical anything. There are identical twins and triplets and things, but in most cases, people who are siblings have a family likeness, but at the same time, they are unique. And the trick is to celebrate the, 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 the together, celebrate the sameness, and at the same time, discover the uniqueness. God wants you to be the best version of yourself that you can be. He wants you to find your unique way of, of, of framing this life. So, when a baby is born, its shape, and its ultimate shape, unfortunately for some of us, its senses... It's unique traits, it's uh, character traits and qualities and it's potentials. All of those things are wrapped up in that little bundle. When, when people take, you know, these CSI people take the DNA uh, off a crime scene, they can tell from the DNA test what species this is, what ethnicity, if it's a human, what ethnicity it carries whether it's male or female, and what it looks like. Is it fair-haired, blue-eyed, fair-skinned, or is it dark-skinned and short hair and etc., etc.? All of these things are determined and 
laid into, programmed into the little person by a thing called DNA. So again, let's get spiritual for a moment. Okay, you ready to get spiritual? John, 1 John, is over and over again, he refers to this, this um, life in God. He talks about the life that is in us. He talks about us being born of God. And then he says, and if you are born of God, here are some of the genetic factors that will be in evidence. Here's how a CSI, a divine CSI agent can come, take a swab, and say, oh, this really is a child of God. So can we have a look at some of those? Um, the writing is going to be fairly small, but uh, let's have a look. First John Chapter 1, verse 3, he says, when we, we have experienced this life and we write these things to you so that we may have fellowship with you and you with us, and with this fellowship we share with God the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. In fact, verse 7, he says, uh, if we walk in the light, we have fellowship with him. So the fellowship, the joining, the, the being part of the same DNA is evidenced by the fact that we walk in the light. And that is a moral sense, using the word light in a moral sense. In other words, being an, a good person. If we walk in the light. This is a hard one for Protestants. If we are, if we are born of God, we will not sin. Mm. Mm. He that sins has not been born of God. Uh-oh. Anybody qualify for that one? Have you found that gene? Is it in your DNA test? Okay, let me let you off the hook. What it means is, will not willfully and habitually and continuously live a lifestyle of sinfulness. That's what he's talking about there. The word hamartano, it's... It's, it's stronger than acts of sin. It's got to do with habit and nature. Uh, this is a good one as well. Verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 3. He, if you're born of God, you will keep His commands. You will, you will, he that keeps the commands of God has been born of God. Hmm, another fairly hard one for Protestants. 2, verse 6. Those of us who have been born of God are like Jesus. We live, we are, we have within us the instincts and the urges and the desires and the passions of Christ. We, you know, your want-tos get changed by this new nature, this new birth. Your want-tos get changed. Nicholas Bengu used to tell this story talking about the perseverance of the saints. He used to talk, tell this story. He, used to, he said there was this man who was walking across a very narrow little bridge and uh, quite a, a plank that was across a, a deep ditch, a muddy ditch. And he had under one arm a pig and under the other arm a sheep. And he was walking across the bridge and it broke and he fell, and the pig went one way, and the sheep went the other way, and he got out of there and scrambled up the side, and he turned at the top and looked back. 
and he saw this thing. He said, the sheep was bleating and struggling and kicking and trying to get out of the ditch. And the pig was wallowing in it. He was saying, wow, thank you. You put me back in my environment. And he said, that's the difference between one who is truly born again and one who is not. Is that you may fall, but you won't want to stay there. You will want to be a different person. You will desire righteousness. You will want to become a truly good person. You will want to be like Jesus. Chapter 2, verse 10, this is maybe John's uh, central point about it, is that he says, he that is born of God loves his brothers and sisters. And if you do not love them, but if you hate them, you've not been born of God. And that love he defines for us in chapter 4. We won't go there uh, prematurely. Then this one, chapter 2, verse 15, if you... If you love the Father, you will not love the world. Love for the Father. He he that loves the world, love for the Father is not in him. Interesting. Love the world. And by the world, he doesn't mean the place. By the world, he means its ways. He means its habits. He means its mindset. He means its urges and its desires. He talks about the world. He... The things that are in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Arrogance, greed, lust, uh, me first, the me first mentality. All of that is the way of the world. And the more we indulge it, the less we will be in touch with the life. I'm, I'm being kinder than John when I say that. Verse 20, he says, uh, if you have been born of God, you have an anointing that teaches you the truth. And that truth is on the inside of you. You don't need anyone to teach you because the, the anointing teaches you all things. You know what you have within you? You have an immune system that is immune against heresy. That is immune against false teaching. I've spoken to Countless numbers of people who have been in, uh, you know, been Christian and then they've gone into various cults. They've got caught up in things and I won't name the cults. And you know how many of them have said this to me when they've eventually emerged out of the darkness of that thing? Is that they'll say, you know, I always knew there was something wrong. Something inside me just didn't like what, what these people were saying to me. But I didn't. I couldn't quite frame it. I couldn't quite put it in words, but I knew it was not right. So you have an immune system against false teaching if you're born again. Does that make you feel safe? I hope it does. 2 verse 24. When you've been born of God, you will remain in the Father and the Son. You will, you will persevere. There will once again be more in you than all of the opposition against you. You are, you are stronger than you think. I'm glad that that excites you. Number three verse, chapter three verse two, uh, sorry, two verse 29. Those that are born of God will do right. 
They will do right things. They will desire righteousness. You know how Jesus said it, hunger and thirst for righteousness. But not only the righteousness that is imputed to us by faith, but also the righteousness of doing good. And again, that's something that Protestants have need to be reminded of. Once again, it's not our faith that says, I have been imputed the righteousness of Christ through, by grace through faith is not going to change the world. You know what's going to change the world? Is a person that says, now that I have that righteousness, I'm going to live it out in such a way that the world will sit up and take notice and know there is a better way to live. That's what's going to give us authority. That's what's going to qualify us to speak as the darkness increases. Chapter 3, verse 2. These are lovely verses. Beloved, now we are the children of God, and yet it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we will see Him as He is. You know what? There is a force inside you that is changing you, moment by moment and day by day, and your job is to find that particular gene and cooperate with it. Build it. Take some spiritual creatine and build that muscle. And get stronger in the, in the fact God does not want to leave you as you are. Here's the deal. He loves you as you are, but He loves you too much to leave you as you are. He's going to change you. There's a power in you that is at work to transform you. As we behold with open face the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed into His likeness. It does not yet appear what we shall be. need to look at yourself in the mirror in the morning and, and tell yourself that verse. Hey, ugly mug. You're not yet what you will be. You're going to be beautiful one day. I mean, many, most of you can say that with, with truth, but people like me, I've got to say it by faith. I'm going to be beautiful. I'm going to be beautiful. I'm going to be just like Jesus. I'm going to smell like Jesus. I'm going to, I'm going to, be, I'm going to be able to, to do stuff like Jesus. And you can have that too. Once again, in chapter 3, verse 6, he says that when we're born of God, we do not continue in willful, deliberate sin. And here's another one. You will not win any popularity contests with this world. If you're in Jesus, the world will hate you. This is a strong sense that I had in this prophetic download from the Lord, is that he said, get ready for the fact that the darkness is going to increase and, it is, and, and the light that is in you is going to irritate the living daylights out of them. We're already seeing it in the media, in the movies, in the, in, the, in the employment system, in the state. People who stand for Jesus and for his righteousness are losing their jobs, are being fired, are being victimized. People are, 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 are being kind of 
um, uh, pu- publicly uh, shamed for the fact that they believe. And it's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. I hear in so many prayer meetings, let me just get a little bit unpopular here for a moment. I hear in so many prayer meetings the, the, the when we culture. It's Christian when weism. You know, when we bring back those good old days, Lord, when we were top of the pops, when everybody liked Christians, when the church was a protected species, bring back the good old days, Lord, when, you know, they, they confessed God in Parliament. I don't actually want people to confess God in Parliament. It's blasphemous to, to confess God and then do the things that they do in God's name. I would rather leave God out of it. Don't give God a bad name by your nonsense. Whether it's political or whether it's educational or whether it's any other thing, any other institution, leave God out of it. Let us be the representatives of God who say, in the name of Jesus, we want to tell you that that way that you're doing that thing is wrong. We will hold up the mirror. We will hold up. We will shine the light in on your darkness. But do not expect applause. So the world will hate you. Chapter 3, verse 21, your heart will have confidence. It will not be condemned. You will not have a, a, a sense of condemnation, but you will have confidence toward God. You will be assured by the Spirit that you are in God. You will have victory. This is the victory that overcomes the world, he says, our faith. He that believes in Jesus, he that is in Jesus, overcomes the world. He has just said, the world will hate you. And then he says, but we have overcome the world. Does that remind you of what Jesus said? We're going to look at that tomorrow. What Jesus said in John, he says, if the world loved me, they're going to love you. If they, hate, if they hated me, they're going to hate you too. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. They can't really hurt you. They can kill you, but they can't really hurt you. They can just change your address. So, winning ways. And then loving ways. Those that are born of God live in love. Because God is love. And he that is born of God lives in love. She who is born of God, love is her nature. It's not an action. It's not a duty. It is a nature that will ooze out of you. <laughs> like the, I think it was Juan Ortiz that said those years ago, there was this man. He was a very uh, angry man. He was a very violent man. And uh, one time, the other man, he, he bumped him. And then he said... he. he he, he hit that man. He broke, him. he broke his nose. And he said, now look what you made me do. And he said, I spoke to that man and I told him, no, nobody made you do anything. That man just bumped the cup and what was in the cup spilled over. 
When somebody bumps up against a Christian, you know what spills over? Love. Now, by the way, the, the book is very clear about what that love looks like. It's not sentiment. It's not mamby-pamby. It's not, you know, uh, soppy or sloppy agape, as somebody once called it. It is robust. It is active. It is sacrificial. It is otherly. It puts the other person's interest ahead of your own. And it acts for their well-being, sometimes in this form. To act for your well-being, my child. Come here because I have to apply the rod of discipline to the seat of learning. And that's love. Mm. I just committed a crime. That's called hate speech in South Africa these days. Uh Okay. Chapter 4, verse 15. Those who... Uh, are born of the Father, are born of God, will acknowledge, will publicly acknowledge both the Father and the Son. So you will not be ashamed of speaking the name of Jesus in your life, in the life of the world around you. When you do good and people commend you for it, you will say, it wasn't me, Jesus in me. And so give thanks to him. Like Peter and John, when they healed a Lame man, they said, don't look at us as if something in us made, us made this man well. It is by the power of that name, that person that you crucified, he has made this man well. So give him glory. Acknowledge Jesus. Those that have the Son will have life. Those that do not have the Son. And, and by, by life, he's talking about uh, Vitality. Christians should be the most vivacious people in the world. You know, we're not the ones who come in and when we come into a party, it like puts a damper on everything. I I often think about this. I think I may have said this here before, but I often think about why Jesus was always being invited to parties. Did you notice that? He was always at these parties of all these hooligans. He He went to... Parties to such a measure that people said you're a drunkard and a glutton. <laughs> I like that. I like that about, don't you like that about Jesus? He hung out, he hung out with people like me. Party animals. <laughs> and he made wine for people who were already drunk. Did you know that? He did. They'd finished the wine for goodness sake. And he, and he made them another 400 gallons. Okay, and then. Answered prayer. If we ask anything according to his will, we will have the requests that we make of him. That's amazing. That's that, remember, remember, when it was like everything you asked for happened. Remember, in the beginning, And then it got complicated. I'm not sure why, but it gets complicated after a while. But but here's the point, and this is where we're going to finish tonight and pick up tomorrow morning. The the qualification there is that this this is the crossover between the life and the authority, the power and the authority. You see, the power has has 
turned on the radio, has plugged it in, turned it on, and even stretched the, the antenna. And now uh, it's a matter of tuning to the wavelength. The power is there. And sometimes, you know, we're born with the, with the right, you know, tuned to the right wavelength. We're born again to the right wavelength. And then things happen, you know. You just got to bump that thing and it goes off the, off the station. And it goes. <laughs> and you got to try and make it. You ask for the gift of interpretation. But, but, but now he's, he's saying, John is saying an interesting thing. He's starting to talk. Before that, he has been talking about spontaneous life and its results in, you, in us. Now he's talking about a condition of behavior that will lead to some better outcomes in our lives. He's saying if we ask according to his will. So we go right back to where we started. First there was the connection, and then the connection got broken. So how do we know the will of God? And the exciting news is, it is your right. It is your right to hear His voice, to know His will, so that you may pray more effectively. And this is where the Lord is saying, and I want to speak particularly to those whose hair is the same shade as mine. God is not finished with you, and in fact, your gift, your gift to the church right now in this country and in this world is to bring the results of the wisdom that that white hair represents and turn it into prayers that pray according to the will of God, not according to the when-we culture and not according to the, the kind of laziness and the complacency. You ain't seen nothing yet. I'm going to say that again. You ain't seen nothing yet. I know you go, oh, have I got to get energetic again? (laughs) You don't even have to be energetic. But what you do need to be is wise. What you do need to bring is the wisdom of your experience. We'll talk about it tomorrow. Understanding from God. I did say lastly, but I lied. So let me, let me quickly, quickly cover this last slide. The, this is also a text that I've shared with you here before, but I'm going to, uh, and this is going to be quick. Faith is not fatalism. Faith is not waiting for some magic to happen. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 10, Paul speaks about himself and he says, By the grace of God I am what I am, yet I worked harder than any of them. Just as, you, as he's saying grace. You know what happens to, uh, very often, what happens to Christians when they hear the word grace? They fall asleep. They go, oh, that's so lovely. Put my head on the pillow and float to heaven on an inner spring mattress drinking the occasional sip of Coca-Cola. No. Grace, Paul says, I worked harder than any of them. 
And he was talking about the, the apostles, the other apostles. He was being quite a, quite a mischief maker. He was being quite arrogant. I worked harder than all those other apostles, he says. Yet, not I, but it was the grace of God that was with me. Now, here are the two things. Both of them are true. Both of them are true. The grace of God is what makes it possible, but the hard work is what makes it actual. Do you hear that? The grace of God puts the potential in the baby. The baby exercising its muscles is what makes the baby become everything it was intended to be. be. So by the grace of God and the hard work, I became everything that Jesus intended. That's what Paul is saying about himself. It's what all of us need to say about ourselves. True faith activates your personality, your skills, and your gifting. All of those are in you as gifts. That's why they're called gifts. But the application of these, plus your training and the community, the rubbing off of the community on you is what produces growth. John Wimber's famous saying, I want to grow up before I grow old. It's not too late. And then we come to another word, the word destiny. Hearing and doing God's word is what brings us into our destiny. And I've put in there one of the most misquoted verses in the entire New Testament. Romans 8 verse 28. Because we know that in everything God works for good with those who love him, who are the called according to his purpose. And you know how most people quote that verse? Everything will work out for good because I love Jesus and he loves me. Nothing can go wrong, go wrong, go wrong. Everything's going to be okay. There are even songs written like that. Everything's going to work out great. Everything's going to be okay. You see, what Paul is saying there is, in everything God works for good with those who who love him, who are the called according to his purpose. And then... This is very important. He tells us what the good is. (laughs) And you again thought the good was your health and wealth and pursuit of happiness. Right? Because that's in the American Constitution. We demand. We demand our rights, our human rights, happiness. No, that's not what it says. Here, Paul says, just in case you misinterpret this, especially after the American Constitution is written, I want to clarify what I mean by good. And this is what it is. He goes on to say, those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. That's the good. The good that God is working everything together for in your life is that you will reflect Jesus. You will behave like Jesus. You will love like Jesus. You will work like Jesus. You will bless the world like Jesus did. That's what the good is. And, and, and so we, we, we sit there in our houses and we say, I need to have another shower because it's the morning. And then he goes, taps are running dry. And I go, why, Lord, won't you send rain? 
And he says, no, because I want you, first of all, to encounter some humility, and I want you to encounter some empathy, because that's what Jesus is like. So the trials, and I'm, I'm making a big deal of this drought, I know. Uh, your trials are going to be different. Or each of us will have different trials. It might be an ache or a pain. It might be some financial stress. It might be, you know, that your wife just will never understand you. (laughs) And then you go, oh God, change her. And he says, no, I'm using her to change you. Because my son grew up and lived most of his adult life with a family who never understood him. So take that. (laughs) I want to make you like Jesus. That's God's agenda. That's the good. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 to 17. For the love of God, the love of Christ compels me. It's a lovely word. Constrains me. Pushes me. Shoves me into into a place, into a mold, into a, into a confined space, into a pressure pot. The love of Christ does that to me. <laughs> Makes me love when I don't feel like it. I said to Jesus, Lord, I don't, I don't have love. I don't have enough love. And he said, don't worry, I've got enough for both of us. I said, I can't forgive. I haven't got forgiveness in me for that. And he said, don't worry, I've got enough forgiveness for both of us. So he shoves me into that place and the love of Christ squeezes me. That's what Paul is saying. Squeezes me. Squeezes something out of me. Because I am convinced that one died for all, therefore all have died. And he died that those who live may live no longer to themselves, but toward him who died for them and rose again. And then he says, for if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. And behold, look, open your eyes and look, everything has become new. And we go, but why there's still so many of the old things? Anybody? I confess, there are still a lot of the old things. Sometimes when I play golf, there's a lot of the old things. Faith in Christ brings the new creation. The love of Christ compels perfection, compels us toward perfection. That love is a different motivation. That love is a different set of want-tos. That love is something that will cause me to rise above myself and give, give of myself when I don't feel like it. That's the nature of the love of Christ. He's still loves the world like that. He still loves you like that. So here's what I would like you to do over the next few hours. Will you take a moment to think about your new birth, when that happened? Some of us have to think back a long way, right? That's okay. Think back and think about what are... What were the markers? What were the things in you that told you, that made, that convinced you, I've been born again? What were they? 
I know what they were for me. I'll talk about some of them tomorrow. I know what they were for me. Do you know what they were for you? Because we need to raise those, those pillars again. And we need to say, if God could do that for me, then this thing that I'm facing now, he has more than enough power to allow me to become the person that he wants this thing to make me into. This is the good news. The Romans 8.28 thing is, does have some good news. And the good news is this, that nothing that comes your way is bigger and can, and can deflect or distract or destroy or break or, or render dysfunctional the power of the life of Christ that is in you. In fact, not only is it, can it not do that, it will, be fashion, it will be squeezed into a place where it will produce his character. It will produce his character in you. That's the good. God makes all things work together for that good. Is that a fair deal? Can you take some time before you sleep tonight or maybe in the early in the morning if that's your particular preference and just take a moment and maybe just write four or five words, things that come to your mind that say, wow, I used to be that and then Jesus came and then I became that. I used to hate and now I love. I used to love and now I hate. Yeah. Yeah. There were some things that I loved that I shouldn't have loved. There were some idols that had to be clapped. Sometimes the Lord does it. It's wonderful when the Lord does it, isn't it? Like Dagon. They just, let, they just went to sleep and the next morning Dagon was hands and feet off. Other times he says, no, you go, pull them down. Pull them down. Make a bonfire. Pull them down. Let's stand and finish this with a moment. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Thank you for your life in us. Thank you for a life that has replaced our mean earthy, miserable existence and that has supplanted it with a glory that is hard to put into words. You've overflowed into these lives. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You heard prayers of gratitude in the beginning of the service. And again, Lord, we say, thank you for loving me. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for giving me new life because of Jesus. Thank you that my dead spirit has been raised to life with Christ. Hey, you're wonderful. You're wonderful. You're amazing. You're amazing. Your love is amazing. Steady, unchanging. I bless you. I bless you. And Lord, we want to confess to you that sometimes we don't do the necessary exercises. We don't keep ourselves healthy. We don't tune in often enough. We don't 
We don't become practiced at hearing your voice. I want to pray that over this time that we have together, that you will again train our ears to hear. Unite our hearts to fear your name. Put a renew a right spirit within us. Cause us again to rejoice at what you do and are doing. Bless you, Lord. Bless you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Um, just a, a little phrase that went through my mind where I think the Lord is saying to someone here, maybe it's more than one, and that is, forgive as I have forgiven you. And as he said that, the, the nudge was, forgive yourself as God has forgiven you. There are some of you who are still carrying shame. Uh, maybe it's about things that happened post regeneration. But I think what the Lord is saying is if your heart condemns you, you have no confidence. And I want you to receive my forgiveness and, and confer it on yourself. Make a, a conscious choice to say about yourself, Costa, I forgive you. I forgive you that failing because Christ, God in Christ has forgiven you already. Okay? So, Lord, I want to just, again, pray that and release that, the spirit of forgiveness, the spirit of freedom, the, the spirit that breaks any sense of self-salvation, of the fact that we might earn, in some way, earn your goodness. I break that spirit, Lord, the spirit of religion. I break that spirit, whether it gives cause for pride or for shame. I break the spirit itself. Release your people into that enjoyment of your good grace. And I pray that that grace would go with each of us now as we go to our homes. In Jesus' name. Amen. A very, a very quick uh, little overview. Tomorrow we're going to talk about two things. The one is this thing of uh, moving from identity to authority uh, and ultimately to destiny. And then the second thing we're going to look at is how God speaks to different ones of us in different ways. Um, and so we'll, we'll look at the um, uh, one of the specific applications I do is the, the four creatures around the, that hold up the presence of God around the throne, that hold up the throne of God, and how each of them reflects a different way in which God communicates. So we'll talk about that and hopefully help you find your shape. What kind are you? And how does God speak to you? And to give yourself permission to be you in the way you hear the Lord. Okay? So that's our shape for tomorrow morning.